Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the TF1 podcast. This is the Singapore GP review. Let's get right into it. Let's go. Hey, everybody. Good to have you back. Uh, We are coming back from a long um, F1 break. Anytime we have a couple of weeks in between, I know it's tough for all the F1 fans. So I'm sure all of us were clamoring to get back to another race weekend. So Singapore, um, you know, this is a track that has quite a little bit of history as far as it's a very difficult track. Uh, It really tests the drivers. There's sometimes a weather component that is associated with Singapore GP. And as we get as we get more deeper in the you know, in the review and the analysis, speaking of weather, I mean, of course, we'll find out that that actually had quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of an effect on the outcome of qualifying and, and race conditions. So good to be back in Singapore. So as I always do, I always set up just Friday practice and qualifying before we get to a detailed breakdown of the race. So speaking of the Friday running of the teams and everything and how everybody looked, I do have to start with a kind of a, I want to say a bombshell, but a pretty big news uh, that came out of the paddock and had, you know, all the, all the reporters and basically the F1 world um, in, in quite a trance. And that was the huge news about possible budget cap violations uh, by two teams, okay? So heading into, like I said, the normal course of business of getting into Singapore, and of course, we knew there was a chance of rain coming in, so you had all the teams and pundits monitoring that, and as all that was going on, word comes out, you know, we're pretty close now to the announcements of the budget cap and how each team did because you know since last year after the budget the budget cap was passed you know all teams throughout the season they have to submit all their expenses and all that has been compiled and put together and so this week is actually when you know the final numbers come out this is the week when we find out you know, has any team breached that cost cap that has been set by F1? And so in the backdrop of that happening, like I said, this bombshell news that there's two teams that have exceeded the cost cap. And so the first team is Austin Martin. The second team is Red Bull. Now, So it gets more granular and more detailed as we find out that they're not equal amounts as far as the breach is concerned for these two teams. Uh, Austin Martin, according to the reports, they have exceeded, they have uh, their amount that they exceeded was actually pretty minimal. Okay. So keep in mind now the cost cap, it it has been agreed by all the teams for the 2022 year is 141.5 million now adjusted to inflation and everything. So that 
cost cap is $145 million, okay? So it, it, you have to keep this number in mind and it's pretty significant because each and every team, specifically the top three teams, so that is Ferrari, Mercedes, and Red Bull, the significance of that number is that is below the operating budget for those teams. So in order to meet that budget cap, most of them have had to do significant changes in their organizations in order to meet that number. So being the cost cap of, you know, where it is. So not only does that affect the number of personnel you have, but when you're bringing updates each and every race, you know, you have to strategically, you have to plan it out. There's going to be some upgrades because that's going to put you over the cost cap that you cannot even bring. Okay. So this is why this, this budget cap is, you know, was such a task and a difficult thing to meet, you know, because for the smaller teams, if you look at it, their budget cap was ordinarily below that number like, you know, in the past. So they didn't have to do any major restructuring or adjustments. But when you're a Mercedes or Ferrari, Red Bull, as an example, you know, Mercedes had to make at least 40 different positions they had redundant and they had to, uh, they had to do without some upgrades that they really needed because keep in mind now, they're, they didn't start off the season as strong as the other teams, Red Bull and Ferrari. So they needed certain upgrades that they would have loved to bring in. But because of the cost cap, of course, they couldn't. So there's a lot of limitations. The same thing Ferrari had to do to a certain extent. The same thing Red Bull had to do. But it's very significant for those teams and the sacrifices they made. So going back to the report, I mentioned to you guys, Austin Martin is one of the teams and significantly the other team that is, you know, rumored to have breached the amount is Red Bull. Now, what's significant is not only are Red Bull rumored to have breached this uh, cap, but they are rumored to have breached it by a very significant amount. And when I say very significant amount, we're not talking about 50,000 pounds. We're not talking about even 85,000 pounds. The, the number that is being reported is they are in the neighborhood of between 7 million and 10 million pounds. Yes, those are eye-popping numbers and that's very significant so when it comes to the punishment of the breaches it is important to insert in here that the punishment that you're about to receive when it comes to the budget cap it's going to directly correlate to how much of an amount you've breached so you know it, it, that's why it's very significant how far you have exceeded because I'll give you an example. So Austin Martin's breach, uh, as I mentioned to you guys, is is now rumored to be uh, like a small amount. When I say small amount, possibly not even 
I think, at the mark of 100,000 pounds. And again, these are not substantiated official figures. I'm giving you guys the reporting behind it. So if that does turn out to be true, the punishment that you get, if if it is, let's say if the number you've exceeded is less than 5% of the overall budget cap, there's a set of punishments and it's going to be minor that is going to be delegated by the FIA. Now, the bigger the breach is, and of course, hence, let's insert the Red Bull breach, then there is a host of options the FIA has that are very significant that it can go ahead and punish that set team. Now, another thing also to keep in mind for you guys, you know, to keep in the back of your head is the FIA deliberately has has left the door open for significant breaches. So in other words, they haven't said if you exceed 5 million, here's the corresponding uh, punishment. If you exceed by 7 million, here's the corresponding punishment. And the the reason they've done that is pretty smart. What they wanted to avoid is they don't want teams to know what the exact punishment is. Now, just to give you an example, if it's a heavy breach, the the amount of options of punishments there are range from heavy points deductions. Uh, it can range to disqualifications. It can range to your time that you have to develop the car next season being reduced which is, of course, a really huge handicap if you're an F1 team. So there's a host of options available, okay? So as I've given you guys the background to this cost cap and what's, you know, what measures can happen, what what um, punishments, that was the backdrop in the paddock on, on Friday as, you know, we were kind of getting ready for teams to practice and for qualifying on Saturday. This was major, major news. So Mercedes and Ferrari, the leaders of both teams, have come out very strongly against this, Um, especially if you're in the place of Mercedes. Think about it. Like I said, they've been on the back foot this season. So imagine had they had had they were were if they were able to have had an extra 10 million or 15 million in the cost cap. Of course, they would have been able to bring updates that they really badly needed to battle and claw their way back to Ferrari and Red Bull. So this has really handicapped them. And, you know, the leader of Mercedes Total Wolf said that he said, we've made redundancies to at least 40 different positions for engineers they have just to be able to meet the cost cap. The same thing with Ferrari. And, and, And keep in mind something also. When we're talking about this controversy, it's it's really interesting to note that this isn't the first time that rival teams have spoken out about their concerns for the cost cap, especially when it relates to Red Bull. The reason being Red Bull from really the start of the season, early parts of the uh, of the season, they have been bringing updates and I actually distinctly remember, I can't remember if it's fifth or sixth race, but I do remember the head of Ferrari, Benito, saying, you know, that he's really surprised at how the Red Bull team has been able to bring updates 
literally at every race. And, you know, he kind of mounted that suspicion saying, you know, I don't know how this other team is able to bring updates and not exceed the cost cap. Now, think about this, guys. This was early in the season that rival teams had noticed that Red Bull was bringing updates almost uh, in, in a fashion like there was no budget cap. That's how Red Bull was operating. And they continued that process throughout the season. So that was, like I said, what was brewing in the paddock. Now, the head of Red Bull had a very strong response. Um, and of course, this comes as no surprise, but he, he came out. Uh, this is Christian Horner, head of Red Bull emphatically denying and he, he was angered by the fact that this news had already made it out even though the official FIA wording is going to come out this season so we're going to have to watch this closely this is going to be this is going to be pretty major and this is going to have implications throughout the season so let's watch that closely uh, that was pretty significant okay so that happened and that was you know, the talk of journalists and team leaders over the weekend. So we had weather-wise, as I was telling you guys, when they were doing the practice runs on Friday, um, there was, you know, the threat of rain that was going to happen both for qualifying and for the race. So teams had to put that in the back of their mind. Now, you know, Ferrari and Mercedes had a really strong showing in practice, in fact, um, Hamilton and Mercedes topped uh, first practice, FP1. I, I believe that's the first time, at least this season, that Hamilton has topped, you know, free practice. So that does tell you that that team is is steadily really improving and making significant progress. The Ferrari looked fast, too, uh, but it wasn't the smoothest of days for Red Bull. But of course, we always know, especially in the hands of Max Verstappen, you know, even when they have rough days, you know, they, they have a very strong package. So they usually come out uh, pretty strong. So coming to qualifying on Saturday again, you know, the the Singapore track, as I mentioned to you right from the onset, always a very tricky, very difficult track. Now, there were three points of the track coming in that had been uh, resurfaced just to make them a little more smoother. Uh, for this specific race, they've also added a third DRS. Um, they, they originally usually always had two in Singapore. And just to see if it can improve racing, they've added a third one as well. So that was um, coming into qualifying, you know, that was what the drivers were monitoring. And like I said, the track was also not fully dry. So you had changing conditions, which is always very difficult for the teams. And that's always difficult for the drivers. OK, now this qualifying, I have to say, has it was very, very exciting, probably one of the most um exhilarating qualifyings of the season and you may actually can say maybe in a couple of years because you had so many different things going on and so many changes of who the leaderboard was led by right so one of the early shocks was in q2 russell of mercedes 
um, you know, he looked safe and there was about four minutes left on the timing sheets and you weren't sure if he was going to go out for another run or not. And as he was doing that, there were some late runners, uh, for example, Gasly, who were coming in, who put in a really significant good time. And so they started to knock Russell down lower and lower. And when you looked at how much time was left, it, you know, it was almost getting to the point of zero for for Q2. And there were more drivers that improved. And suddenly you saw that that pushed out Russell, George Russell out of Q2. So that was kind of one of the early shocks of, you know, qualifying. He's usually a very good qualifier. Um, and he always has been even prior to, you know, Mercedes when he was at Williams. So especially with the pace that Mercedes showed on Friday, you just did not expect that. So that was disappointing for Mercedes. Now, when you got to Q3, in qualifying, that's when the real fireworks started to begin. So you can see, like I mentioned earlier, how strong Ferrari is. They were expected to be strong because the characteristics of this track sh sh uh, suits them. But not just that, just over one lap, that Ferrari car has just, especially in the hands of Charles Leclerc, has been really uh, really strong. And you can say that is probably the only one remaining area, maybe that Ferrari has an edge over, uh, Red Bull because in every other area, Red Bull has just increased, you know, um, just the effectiveness of their car, whether it's aerodynamics, whether it's engine power. So it was an interesting battle. So what you continued to see was just the names on top of that leaderboard. And that's what made this qualifying so exciting. Um, you know, Hamilton would set up a fantastic time. Leclerc would come and set up a time. Perez was setting up a really good time. Um, now, Max Verstappen at the beginning wasn't definitely, you know, lighting up the timesheets, even though he was doing very good. But um, then we... I get a moment as so as the time clock is winding down for Q3, like I said, on this really exciting qualifying, you did not know if it was going to be Hamilton, if it was going to be Charles Leclerc, because they kept on trading spots. Uh, Sainz was doing good, too, but not necessarily as strong as Perez, Hamilton and Leclerc. And so now Max you know, he waits right until, you know, the, the track keeps on evolving and he starts a lap. And this is literally towards the final part of qualifying. So the, the time clocks are almost down to zero. Um, you know, after Hamilton had set up a really strong time, um, then you had Charles Leclerc, who, who also set up a very strong time. And then Sergio Perez goes ahead and slots himself in second place. And so Max starts a lap. And like I said, this is at the final part when unexpectedly to everybody, you hear his engineer come on the radio and literally tell him to abort the lap. Like to, he was midway, Max was, and he was actually up by a couple of tenths on Charles Leclerc's times. And, and so 
um, it was just shocking to hear that. And he was right by the pit entrance and you can hear Mar uh, Max just absolutely angry. He is, you know, and you can't blame him for it, but he's going on a rant. He's, you know, saying every expletive. He's asking the team what in the world is going on. And the, his engineer told him, hey, we'll talk about this after you get out of the car. So he unfortunately had to abandon his lap. And so qualifying ended up, the top three of qualifying ended up Charles Leclerc grabbing a sensational pull for Ferrari, Sergio Perez in the Red Bull, and then um, holding that, you know, um, finishing that out was Lewis in the Mercedes in third. And something just to keep in the back of your mind, so close was this qualifying that Lewis was actually just literally um, 0.005 of the pole position. So that's how close Mercedes and Hamilton were to grabbing pole. But nevertheless, Leclerc got the final spoils of that qualifying. So the main thing and what everybody was curious about was what happened to Red Bull? Why did they have to make that late call? And we find out that that late call was actually because of not having enough fuel in the car for the fuel samples for the FIA. So Red Bull, who are typically more times than not, they're very buttoned up as far as the operations of the team. So this is a rare mistake where they misjudged how much fuel was in the tank for Max. So had they let him go, they were, of course, going to be penalized and, and definitely disqualified. And he would have to start from the back, which is the last thing you want, especially, especially on a track like Singapore, where you can't even pass. So that was the reason why um, this angered Max to, you know, I mean, it absolutely, absolutely angered him. And um, like I said, the team just made the decision, hey, we would rather go ahead and suffer a couple of spots down the grid than, you know, of course, getting to a situation where they're going to be disqualified from the whole entire result. So that's what happened uh, from things that I've heard um, reported for that day. Max was so angry um, after that, that there's a customary point where, you know, after qualifying, of course, the drivers meet with their engineers and they said Max actually literally skipped that whole step and left the paddocks. That was how much um, angry he was. And you can tell even with the, um, with the interviews he gave after qualifying. And like I said, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Sometimes the drivers do sometimes the team. So you can't necessarily fully blame him because, you know, he, he did his job. They made an error. So, but that's how angry he was. He actually left the paddock really early. He did not meet with his, with his engineers. Okay. So, that was a uh, crazy qualifying for you, you know, and, and keep in mind when I say fuel, of course, you know, for those that are not familiar. So all the cars on the grid, whether it's qualifying, qualifying or race, they have to finish uh, the, the qualifying or race with a liter of fuel in the car. OK, that is um, 
that's basically set in stone, that's black and white. The reason being is because after those events, the FIA has to take a fuel sample and they want to make sure nothing is tampered with. So if you're found, if your car's found to be anything under that amount, that is an instant disqualification. So there's no team that will ever risk that. Like I said, what what affected Red Bull was the changing conditions sometimes both drivers on the team do not use the same amount of fuel. So that caught them out and, and that's what happened. So, so with that in the backdrop, and then like I said, with the, with the angry max, now you have the grid set up for, for Sunday. And so remember at the beginning of, um, the race analysis or the podcast, I should say, you know, I, I mentioned how Singapore there's been, uh, different years where weather sometimes plays a very significant part. So this was one of those years again, uh, early Sunday morning, it was raining like a monsoon. It was raining very, very heavy. So the FIA for precautions and safety, they decided that they are going to delay the race. So it was first delayed by 30 minutes and then they added another 30 minutes as well. So there was an hour delay to the race. Okay. Now that's completely understandable because at the end of the day, we all, you know, are concerned about driver safety. Um, the flip side to it though, that, you know, people have, have notated, especially those connected with F1 is it would be really good for the FI to build itself, um, to give itself some flexibility. Because if you guys remember the same thing happened in spa, where there was extremely heavy rain. So although there's a three hour window where you can have the race, which the FIA has, and you can, you know, you can shift that window to when you actually start the delayed race, it'd be good for them to give themselves a little bit of flexibility, especially when it comes to inclement weather. But, you know, they hadn't been in Singapore in a while. So uh, the crowd had no issues with it and they went ahead and started the race. So the start of the race, as it always is, is pretty significant because Sergio Perez had a really good start. And you talk about, you know, a moment that defines your race, his good start, because he was able to get off like a rocket. He was actually able to, um, exceed, you know, Charles Leclerc. He actually piped him with the start that he had. And, that as as we go down the analysis of the race that proves to be very significant because of course with this track and, and the way that it has you know it's, it's one it's very difficult but two when you have the conditions where it was partially dry partially wet it made it so difficult to pass other cars so uh that move by perez right at the beginning would would play a significant part in in the victory that he achieved now, when we talk about the race, you know, of course, there were a number of cars that had uh, hit the wall, either briefly, um, we had really experienced drivers have an issue as well. And, and this is what happens when you deal with a very twisty uh, track that's, you know, that that's hard enough when it's dry, but when you mix in rain and when you mix damp conditions, um, so many drivers had to contend with some mistakes. Now, 
there was speaking of mistakes, there was frustration for Hamilton. Um, and you actually, this was at the beginning of the race. You um, heard the radio transmission, Hamilton saying that they weren't starting with the race tires that he wanted to start. There was a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say criticism, but um, just an off comment that, you know, this season we've heard several times and, and it keeps on surprising me. And I don't know if it's maybe sometimes the, the frustration of the season mounting, but this is not necessarily the Hamilton we're used to. And so I mentioned that and frustrations because Hamilton was stuck behind signs. And as Hamilton explained after the race, he was actually significantly faster than signs that Mercedes was setting a time that was actually on par with the front runners ahead. So you're talking about with Perez and Charles Leclerc. Um, and so it was frustrating with this track that no matter what he tried, you know, Carlos Sainz was significantly slower, like I said, and even Sainz after the race admitted that he has to look at what, why is it that in race conditions he's not able to match Charles Leclerc. This, this is from the mouth of Sainz, so he's admitted to that. So at one point while following Sainz, you know, he, Lewis pushed too hard, he went ahead and hit the wall. Um, it was not a very significant damage, but it was significant enough that he needed a new wing. So from that point on, that just really compromised his race. Uh, Lewis apologized to the team afterwards, and he said he really kind of threw out his race at that point. And like I said, it's unfortunate. And before I even get to the other drivers, and like I told you, it, there was uh, the conditions that were at the Singapore track that caused a lot of good experienced drivers to, to make mistakes. Uh, Verstappen, who was literally aggressively trying to pass a car, he went off, he made a mistake as well. There was a lot of drivers that it affected, but I do have to say, I don't believe we've seen a season where there's been as as many mistakes for Hamilton as they've had this season. Um, Hamilton is usually very air-free, and I don't know, maybe possibly if it's the handling of this car where it, it has not been the best, and then you add in, like I said, tricky conditions that caused a number of drivers from Sonoda, like I said, Verstappen, I mentioned him earlier. Um, there were quite a few drivers. Uh, you can just imagine at the speeds that they they race, if you get off the, the racing line, especially the wet part, just by a few inches, you're going to have an off or you're going to hit a wall. So yeah, that definitely was a reoccurring theme. So you, what you did was you saw a lot of virtual safety car um, and you saw a lot of yellow flags. So that was assisting some teams, especially with the timing of the pit stop. So one of the things that we saw was um, Russell, George Russell in the Mercedes, he, because he was bogged down because of his qualifying, um, qualifying, you know, low, the team decided to do something all the others hadn't. They brought him in early to get him on slicks to see if, you know, just to find a spark, basically, because he was not doing anything out there. So 
when they first changed it and he went out, of course, in F1, when you're the first, especially in, in, in changeable conditions to do something, in, in a sense, you're, you're almost kind of the guinea pig because what now you are providing is the other teams are watching the timesheets to see what kind of times you're setting, okay? Because he was the first one to do it. So it was a little bit dicey at first because the track was still super wet. So um, it was difficult for Russell out there. He was setting times that are two or three seconds um, much more, uh, you know, much more slower than the others. Now, as as the conditions improved, as the track evolved in about four or five laps, now you started to see Russell was setting up, was setting the fastest times out there. And that's, of course, when the moment where the other teams look at the timesheets, keep in mind, you know, they can all see what each other are doing as far as the timesheets. That's when there was a flurry of activity um, because now the team said, okay, it's time to switch the tires. So you saw a lot of that come into play. And one of the things connected to that that was really significant was uh, Gasly. You know, Pierre Gasly was, after the race, was extremely, extremely angry at his team. So what AlphaTauri did was they asked him uh, to come in for slicks way before it was actually the right time to do it. So that compromised Gasly's race. And what happened was about four laps after they were, they had instructed him to come in, a safety car came out. So four different teams, the McLarens and the Austin Martins, who both had really good races, and I'll talk about them briefly in a second, they were able to jump Gasly because of that move. So after the race, um, Gasly just basically mentioned in interviews that he was really, really disappointed in the team because not only did they, they, they time in a wrong way, the way they brought him in, which by the way, the, one of the leaders of AlphaTauri after the race came out and said, yes, that was our mistake. We did not time that correctly. One of the biggest, um, you know, kind of glaring things for Gasly that made him mad was there was there was really no communication. And so, you know, AlphaTauri really dropped the ball. They didn't communicate correctly with Gasly. They weren't telling him what they were anticipating him to do. And in, in the bigger overall picture, they they cost their driver. He was about to come in seventh and he ended up coming in 11th. So that was pretty costly. And Gasly was definitely not angry at, uh, was definitely angry at them. Now, when we look at some of the other teams and the changing fortunes, so part of one of the bright spots of qualifying, speaking of Alpine, was Alonso and his performance. And so, you know, there's a very tight battle between um, between McLaren and Alpine going on, and for the vast majority of the season, Alpine have had a little bit of an edge and they've really done a, a really good job to improve their car. Now, coming to this race, uh, Alpine had upgrades, so did McLaren. And, and so um, it looked like uh, Alpine had taken a little bit of an extra step on McLaren. 
from my understanding, they, they meaning Alpine, brought improvements to the floor. Now McLaren um, changed their side pods. They updated the side pods. That update was actually only available uh, for, uh, not for Ricardo, but for, for Norris, okay? So as the race was going on, um, Ocon suffered uh, an engine failure. And so, you know, DNFs have played a significant role in Alpine for Alpine in a negative way this season. And you saw Alonso doing really good, working his way up the field. And then before you know it, you can see on the cameras where Alonso's really slowing down and he gets on the radio and he suffers an engine problem as well. Um, and so that's pretty significant because that is now two cars for one team for Alpine that you have DNF. That means zero points, uh, you know, on a weekend where you have such a tight battle with McLaren. That was, you know, that's going to be very worrisome because one, like I said, it was the same issues engine related for both drivers. But two, it's not even like you had something happen where, you know, it affected you and you went down the order toward three length. This was a double DNF. So that handed McLaren a very good weekend. Um, they actually uh, collected a lot of points today and they are now up by a few points on Alpine. So. Um, Ricardo did a good save, uh, this race. I believe he finished, uh, fifth and, um, Alpine, uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, Norris as well, who finished one, one, um, one position higher than, than Ricardo. So they hold in a lot of points and th this DNF by Alpine is, is going to really hurt them. Um, yeah, that was a significant blow. Now, after the race, um, Alonzo said that, you know, these mechanical issues had uh, had already cost him a total of 60 points this season. Now, that, that's pretty major. 60 points is major. But leave it to Alonzo to have actually calculated ahead of time to the points how many points that the team have lost him. I, I mean... <laughs> You, you you cannot lose the irony in the fact that Alonso has memorized exactly how many points uh, the team has cost him. And he had that fact ready, tucked in his back pocket to say to the world media. So um, it wouldn't be Alonso if, if that didn't happen. So I, I got a little chuckle from that. He knows the exact amount of points that the team have cost him. So. But like I said, all kidding aside, uh, this is significant for Alpine because the faster car was actually Alpine, but they cost themselves and allowed McLaren to come back. So, yeah. So this is pretty much your um, the main essence of the Singapore GP. Like I said, you know, the the track conditions, it, it caused I have to say this was not um especially the first part of the race there's no other way to say it it was it was not captivating it was actually pretty boring um we can see that singapore it's it's very difficult for cars to pass even these new cars that have you know been vastly improved for you know for for passing that that track especially in in mixed conditions is still very difficult 
um, to watch good racing. So that's something, you know, they're going to have to look at. I know they resurfaced it this year, so I don't know what future improvements they can make, but you know, um, it just, it just made for tough viewing. It got better in the end because you had a lot of, the virtual safety car and other um, significant things that happen. But we, we're going to have to look at what other changes they can do in order to make the show better, the Singapore GP. But yeah, those are the main items, guys. Um, this week, we eagerly await what the cost cap official figures from the FIA are. Uh, like I said, this is going to have some huge ramifications. So we'll wait and see what happens with that. But as always, from um, every part of the globe you're listening, I want to really thank you from the bottom uh, for supporting the TF1 podcast. Um, you can also look at our Twitter page at TF1 podcast. And I look forward to seeing you guys next time from Japan. Okay, take care and thanks.